What Bitcoin does is it demonetizes the political class and empowers the productive class. That's what better money does for people, is it takes the people who are just rent-seeking in our political structure and says to them, I'm sorry, but you don't belong here because you don't produce anything or create any, any net economic positive. Hello there from the USA. How are you all doing? Welcome to episode 400 of the show. Amazing, right? Every milestone like this really blows me away. A podcast I started nearly four years ago, which was just for a bit of fun, really, has taken me around the world to interview some of the greatest minds in Bitcoin and economics, even taking me to a president. It's all kind of weird, really, but amazing. And I'm always so grateful to everyone who's helped out, you, the listeners, the guests, and the sponsors who enable me to do this. So massive thanks to you. Massive thanks to everyone. Very, very cool that we've got to 400 episodes. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got my buddy Harry Suddock back on the show. We're going to do a Bitcoin Mining 101 But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. And seeing as we're doing a Bitcoin Mining 101, we have to kick off with Compass Mining. And they're not just a sponsor. I'm a customer of theirs. I'm now mining Bitcoin again. And I've been mining now for 35 days. And I've already mined 0.116 Bitcoin, which is worth over $4,860. It would be higher, but we've had a bit of a dip. But I'm not selling. And it's so good to be back mining. And I, you know what? I really fucking love these guys. I caught up with the team in New York this week. It's pretty cool to hear about all their plans. They're really crushing it. Now, Compass Mining makes mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. And it's so easy with Compass Mining. You just pick the machines you want, choose your hosting facility, and they do all the legwork for you. Now, if you are interested in mining and want to find out more, then please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G And next up, we have BlockFi, who recently launched the BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. Now, for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards Credit Cards provides the easiest way to earn more Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every card purchase. It is the smartest way to stack sats and there is no annual fee. You can have 1.5% back in Bitcoin in every purchase, but you get 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership, and everything you spend over $50,000 annually will see 2% return back in Bitcoin. Now, if you want to find out more, then please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, listen, if you're new to Bitcoin and you're stacking sats, but you're leaving it on an exchange, you really want to think about getting yourself a hardware wallet. You've got to take custody seriously. And you know what? I've been a Ledger customer since early 2017. I bought a Nano S back then, and I'm still using that same device now. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone and manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, then please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D. GER.com. And also, we need to talk about Gemini, my exclusive exchange sponsor who I am using for buying and maybe in the future selling Bitcoin, but I'm not selling yet. I haven't sold a single sat through Gemini because you know what? I'm a sat stacker. 
I'm writing this shit out. We know where Bitcoin's going. Why would you want to sell any sats? Now, I am using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M, INI.com. Okay, onto the show today, and I've got my good friend Harry Suddock back on the show. We met for the first time in Miami. It was instant love, instant bros forever. And as I was going to do a mining 101, I knew I had to get Harry back on the show. Come and drop some more of his knowledge bombs. Now, listen, we did cover energy usage before. That show will be linked to the show notes. So you want to check that one out as well. And do you know what? Since Compass came on as a sponsor and I've begun mining again, I've had a lot of people write to me. They're like, Pete, we need to learn a bit more about mining. So here we are, a mining 101 for you guys. Now, Harry is not just one of my favorite people in Bitcoin. He's one of my favorite humans in the world. And so when I was in New York, I hit him up. I was like, come on, man, let's go and do another mining show. Let's do a 101. But you know what? We went beyond that. We discussed a whole bunch of things to do with mining, and he dropped some absolutely banging one-liners. We also grabbed dinner afterwards. And man, I wish I could have recorded that. Anyway, listen, I know you're going to love this one, but if you've got any questions, you can jump into my Telegram channel or hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. All right, on to the show. See you all soon. Harry, good to see you again, man. Round two. Round two. Uh, the last show we did was very popular. Uh, always happy to talk to you. You're one of my favorite humans in the whole world. And uh, now I'm Bitcoin mining again. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, that was a very cool way it happened. Um, Compass got in touch and said, uh, we'd like to sponsor the podcast uh, and we'd like you to mine with us. And I was like, okay, well, let me buy some equipment and let me get back mining. Uh, it was very different experience from my last time. <laughs> a little more white glove. Oh, God. Dude. And and dis- disclosure, I'm an investor and an advisor in Compass. So, well, okay, uh, and just, you know, full disclosure, they're a sponsor. People will know there'll, <laughs> yeah. there'll be an ad before this. But what's happened? It, it's probably been one of my most successful sponsorships ever because I'm getting so much inbound from people saying, "Wow, tell me about Compass. Like, what's the deal? Are they legit? Can you cover mining?" So, uh, I think we need to do a one-on-one on mining. I've got so many questions. Uh, I've got my five S19s powering away. Ex- They're beasts. They're amazing. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> I mean, I just logged into my Luxor. I was like, yep, yeah, I mined some more Bitcoin today. And uh, I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you later why I'm mining, but I think it's useful to do a 101. People want to know all about it. There's no one else I'd rather do it than with you. And we can get a whole bunch into a whole bunch of other shit. But good to see you. Are you well? I'm great. I'm great. We're in, you know, we're 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 mining Bitcoin. You know, this is the the it feels like the you know the middle of the of the bull market you know i think that that we've held up really well um i think that you know bitcoin has never been in a more um you know bitcoin's a word that everybody knows now yeah even in 2017 that wasn't obvious it was like it was like this weird niche thing mm-hmm. um that like you know one person in every office was into it yeah now it's it's central. You know, we you you log into CNBC and Coinmetrics is on the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, you you go into you know any sort of macro update, Bitcoin is considered one of the you know the inflation hedge risk assets that gets talked about as a normal piece of discussion. Um, you know, and I think that you know obviously we can we can go into some of the ESG stuff that's out there, but the ESG discussion people are talking about proof of work. 
mm-hmm. and consensus and mining. And you know, this is this is um, you know some of that's positive, some of that's negative, obviously. But but we're in a very different part of the public consciousness um, that I think is is super compelling. It's it's fascinating. So I I brought this up a while ago when people asked about how do we get Bitcoin mass adoption. I said, well, look, we have mass awareness outside of some obscure. Uh, tribe in the Amazon jungle, everyone fucking knows about Bitcoin. Like, there's never a scenario where somebody says to me, What do you do? And I was like, Oh, I've got a Bitcoin podcast. And they say, What's Bitcoin? Like, exactly. everybody's heard of it. And if they're not holding Bitcoin, maybe they're holding Dogcoin or something else. But like, we have, we have a lot of people interested in this space and it's getting political now. We have, we have a country that's made Bitcoin legal tender. We have pro-Bitcoin people in Congress here in the US. We have Senator Lummis. We have Warren Davison. We've got Mayor Francis down in Miami as well. Ted Cruz? The, 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 Ted Cruz doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves for that speech. Yes. Um, I wonder how much he cares, but fuck it. It's a very Texas idea. Exactly. You know, he What he did was he saw innovation happen and regardless of whether or not it's his ideology mm-hmm. or his interests or whatever, he saw a new idea come to market, and the the immune you know the the old world you know congressional immune system mm-hmm. tried to kill it, you know out of default out of knee jerk reaction, and he said no, not because he loves the idea necessarily, but because the idea of killing things out of knee-jerk reaction is wrong. It's it's kind of mind-blowing because yeah, Senator Lummis is amazing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Warren Davison's an incredible guy. Yeah. But Ted Cruz is like next level politician. Like everyone has heard of him. Everybody knows who he is. And I, I see there's like these international dominoes of which you know, El Salvador's one. And then um the US is so important. US it tends to drive <laughs> like global regulations, right? And we have dominoes falling here as well. So it's super interesting. Um, I was down, Parker Lewis hosted a Bitcoin mining event down in uh, Houston, which was incredible. Like a big shout out to everything Parker's doing. Yep, uh, That was incredible. Like the mining thing, mining was a thing, it's been a thing like back in 2017. Right now it's it's like a huge topic of conversation because I think a lot of companies have realized, like, actually, this is big business. We can get into this. This is you know, the oil and gas people down in Texas. It's, it's, and also, I really like the way a whole bunch of the hash rate is now growing here in the U.S. Yeah, it's growing here organically, mm-hmm. right? This isn't this isn't necessarily you know you know folks who who had to shutter in China just sending their rigs over here and and hosting it here. Mm-hmm. This is American DNA companies. Building out rack space, self-directing their hash, saying that this is, you know, this is going to be a core infrastructure business here, and and we're going to build it from the ground up. Grid is obviously doing that. We've been doing mm-hmm. that, but you know, but just to see how broad, you know, the interest in engaging with this as a core business line, you know, it, it's huge. Well, I'm getting a lot of emails about this, and look, my audience now is like done a five x while the Bitcoin price has gone up. There's a bunch of new listeners. They maybe don't really truly understand mining. I think it's good to go back. I've got loads, loads to talk to you about, but we should do a 101. Let's go. Let's give all the basics. Let's explain what it is. Allow people to understand 
what what miners do, the role they play in Bitcoin, and then we can get in some of the intricacies and then some of the debates around some of the more interesting topics. But I'm just going to like off the bat just explain what Bitcoin mining is. It's, you take us away. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to talk about how Bitcoin functions. Mm-hmm. You know, at a at a not overwhelmingly technical but reasonably technical level, is that you know the the way that Bitcoin works is that you you continue to add blocks to the end of a chain. It's called a blockchain. It's very literal, where the specific details of the prior block are cryptographically included in the following block, so that every time that a new block is added, the um, the honest behavior of the transactions in all of the history of the previous blocks um, is is continuously validated. So this is this is important because you know you hear these words like distributed ledger or you know you know Bitcoin is triple entry bookkeeping or you know the, these are these are you know memes of the industry. It's important to understand that Bitcoin fundamentally is a database that tracks values moving across accounts, mm-hmm. and it does this with something called the UTXO set, the unspent transaction outputs, which means that you know every time Bitcoin is is moved. You know, all of the inputs result in an equal number on on you know you know Bitcoin basis of outputs. So this is why the twenty one million hard cap is in, is enforceable. This is why Bitcoin is able to achieve transaction finality when you send it. There's no chargebacks. There's no backseas. There's no rollbacks. There's no forking it out. Like Bitcoin works as expected. Um, and that's something that we, you know, 12, 13 years into this experiment now can take for granted, but is an enormous innovation. And so, you know, we really have to think, you know, super, super carefully about the 21 million hard cap and the transaction settlement finality and how those are enforced. And those are enforced in this, this beautiful relationship between the proof of work consensus mechanism and the node validation. So, Bitcoin is a system that um, that adheres to rules, and the way that it adheres to rules is is with what I call like maker checker. So, the miners process the transactions by putting together a block, and then think of that like a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. Really hard to put together if you've ever done one; take forever. Um, but they're really easy to see if they're done or not. So. The miner does this really challenging task of putting together a thousand-piece puzzle, and then they hold it up, and all the nodes get to look at it. And the nodes are able to say yay or nay. It it behaves by the rules or it doesn't. The, the maker versus the checker power dynamic is really important when you think about you know, things like the, the block size debate in 2017, when you think about the inclusion of Taproot more recently. Um, you know, so the the miners are very responsible for a day by day performance of the network, but they are not the the you know the power center of the ongoing development of the software. So this is this is you know a, a little bit wonkish, and, and I know we're trying to do one hundred and one, and this might not be mm-hmm. be quite there, but it's important to understand that while miners are critically important to the system, they are not you know we are not the court system. Of Bitcoin, we are not the you know we are not the enforcement mechanism. The nodes are, and the nodes are the most decentralizable piece of the system. And so, the brilliance of the design is that the most decentralizable piece is where all the power sits. So, what miners do 
is, you know, we we dig the ditch. We, you know, we do the we do the the hard manual labor of putting together the computing power and directing that computing power to continue to to process transactions, but you know, but the processing of transactions is really sort of a byproduct. Really what we do is we make sure that the ongoing performance of the system is abiding by the rule set that the nodes enforce. Okay. We're going to break this down even simpler. Yeah. So, the way I understand it, I mean, look, the separation of, we're talking about two key components, the nodes and the miners. And to me, that is just a separation of power. It totally. puts the checks and balances in the system to ensure that miners who have the economic incentive to mine Bitcoin can't corrupt the system. Totally. And I think the important thing to explain to people is what is consensus, what is consensus, and where does that sit in this hierarchy? And because for me, that, that's like the most important part. So cons- c- consensus is, is really just a set of rules. Yeah. So, you know, so there's a list, what Bitcoin does a really good job of is designing a set of rules that is, uh, that is governed by the code. So if you run a Bitcoin node, mm-hmm. the rules in your node say, you know, these are the list of behaviors that are accept. And I'm, I'm significantly abstracting this, but th- this is the list of behaviors that are acceptable. Everything that deviates from this list is rejected. Mm-hmm. So the two ones that I think are 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 critically important are the supply schedule of bitcoins. The, the there will never be more than twenty one million bitcoins because any rules that introduced more than twenty one million would be rejected out of at default. Mm-hmm. The default position for all the nodes is to reject an increase in the supply. What miners do is is we say it, let's get even simpler. What miners do is we plug computers in. We generate computing power that gets contributed to typically to pools and that computing power is used to find a block of transactions, so a group of transactions that satisfy the the Bitcoin software rule set. Makes and sense. so the first person to guess a compliant block within the Bitcoin rule set, not compliant with some other outside thing, uh, the first person to guess that block gets paid the Bitcoin, which is made up of the the subsidy plus the fees. And we should explain the nodes. Some people will have heard of them. A lot of people listening will know exactly what they are, but some won't. So the node, the node to me is, is that ability that I have to download the entire blockchain and to check that every block coming in is following the rules that you've just said. Exactly. And, and the really interesting part of all of this is that the nodes keep the miners honest. Okay? Yes. Because we as the operators of the system, we don't want it to break because we hold Bitcoin. We, it's, it's imperative the system does not break. And and let's be let's be super explicit about what what a scenario where a miner tries to violate the rules mm-hmm. and the node says no yep. and why that doesn't happen. Yeah. So so if I'm running if I'm running lots of servers, the cost, the ongoing cost of doing that is a, a big, big fat power bill, mm-hmm. right? We're generating, you know, we're generating this compute, but in order to power the compute, we consume, you know, a significant amount of energy. Mm-hmm. The if we were to if we were to try to propagate non-compliant blocks, and then we asked for Bitcoin in return, and the node said no, we're not getting that energy back. Yep, and. It's user to lose it, and a block is now worth what 
$250,000? Yeah, it's six and a quarter Bitcoin plus fees. Yeah, so what's that? Six times 48? 300, nearly 300,000. 300 plus grand. And you could have, uh, you could have what, spent how much on power for one of those? Like two to 250,000? Depending on who you are? It really depends on who you are. But you spent a lot. But you spent a lot of money on you power. You spent a lot of money. Six figures on power. You spent a lot of money. And you know, the, the incentive to cheat the system is like, can I create extra Bitcoin into an account that I want? That's the kind of, that's the best cheat that you could do. But you're never going to get away with it because the node will reject it. So it's burning money. It's just burning money. It's just throw money away. Yes. So there's no incentive in the system for a miner. There's incentives for people to try and cheat. They're just never going to get away with it. Exactly, and the and the cheating can't be hidden. Yes, is what's important is that you can't you know you know even if you attempt to cheat, it's it's you know shockingly difficult um, to get away with it. And this is all of you know it, we we lose sight of this because Bitcoin is part of our common vocabulary now. But this is just like fundamentally innovative, right? The the core innovation um, that Satoshi Nakamoto offers us is a solution to the double spend problem. Mm-hmm. What that means is, is that if I send you a Bitcoin, mm-hmm. I can't send the same Bitcoin to somebody else and stay within the rules. There is no workaround so that I can perform that behavior. And the way that that behavior is avoided and enforced uh, is with the relationship between proof of work and mining and nodes and validation. We've nailed it. Should we go down the pub? <laughs> no, okay, so that's that's great. That, I mean, look, that's a great primer for everyone. I think now let's talk about the business of mining because this now is fascinating. Like from a distance, it's big business. Like it's it's huge business. I mean, how how much money are miners generating daily? Uh, I don't know. I don't know daily, but it's you know it's nine hundred bitcoin a day in net new, roughly. So you know, what's call- that, Danny? Give us a price, man. Call that four, you know, four and a half million a day. Am I off of zero? Uh, you could be. <laughs> you could be off. That. Clearly, live math is We're, not what this podcast is I, about. I could do it, but like forty-three million. Forty-three, 43 million a day. A day. We're talking billions a year. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah yeah. So this yeah this is this is a you know and and you see it reflected in in valuations of miners. You know there's you know publicly traded miners that are you know multi-billion dollar businesses. Hold on, was that forty-three million a day? That's says 1.5 billion a month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Big business. Big business. Yeah. If any of our maths are wrong here now, we're all gonna look like fucking idiots. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you can't, you'd have to leave it in. Uh, okay, so it's big business. It's 1.5 billion a month, it's multiple billions a year, it could go into tens of billions. You know, it's this is huge business. So talk about the business of mining, like what is the edge? You as a I mean, explain what grid does. I know they're a mining business, but it's it's more complicated than that. Yeah, so at, at Grid, we are, you know, we are a vertically integrated self-mining business. So what that means is we take control of as much of the operations as is reasonably possible, mm-hmm. and we don't do any hosting. We mm-hmm. don't mine for anybody else. Um, we mine for ourselves because we really want the Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, what that means is that we've gotten pretty smart on energy. We've gotten pretty smart on on operations and construction management and you know, software development, you know, all of the other sort of adjacencies that that make us vertically integrated, we bring all that skill set in-house. So, you know, if I'm describing what Grid does, you know, to, to someone who knows mining a little bit but maybe doesn't know sort of the, the different types of businesses is that here's the energy company spinning a turbine and here's the chip manufacturer um, printing an ASIC. Everything in between is us. 
We want the whole stack in between. We think that that's how we accrue the most uh, the most Bitcoin over time and and run at the highest margin. But but even more importantly, you know, the for us the mining business is all about thinking about the downside protection case and making sure that we are producing Bitcoin at the lowest cost possible. So you want to get the cheapest. The edge is getting the cheapest energy possible mm-hmm. in the most efficient way to the chip. Exactly. So it is it is about. It, there's really sort of two big efficiencies. One is capex, the other is opex. So on the on the operating expense side, it means getting the highest uptime at the lowest cost of power and the and the best cleanest uh, you know operational performance. So we staff it with you know with technicians and we run our own repair and maintenance uh, uh, capabilities on some of these machines. And you know it's all about keeping as much of the fleet up as long as you can at the lowest cost basis possible. On the capex side, it's really about building these uh, these mining operations as cheaply as possible without compromising on on the quality of performance. So, you know, we break that into into two major legs. There's the cost of acquiring the hash, which is purchasing the ASICs, and then there's the cost of building out the operations. And so that's you know we think about this on a on a per megawatt basis. What does it cost to stand up? Um, what does it cost to stand up a mining operation? Right. Okay. So. I'm not going to do the whole energy thing. People can go and check out the last show we did because yeah. that was fascinating. But one thing you did say in there is like you did mention the cleanest. So we don't have to have a debate about whether global warming is or isn't an issue. But in terms of grid, um, how do you guys think about clean energy versus dirty energy? Do you is it a internal uh, ethical decision or is it a general business pressure that you have to think about this like because there are some people out there that's like is it Steve Barber yeah he seems to not give a fuck like oh, he like, doesn't he's like burn the coal yeah and uh i i'm not a fan of that kind of attitude but i'm also i don't agree that everyone should be pressured to you know i think there is like has to be like some middle ground yeah so my mom is is a huge like my mom didn't think i was going to I come from a family of. Did like, your mom think you're bur- like kidding bit polar bears? No, no. So my mom, my mom is like this is. She said this is like the first time she's felt hopeful for the future. Oh, okay. Was when she figured out that that Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining and energy worked this way. Mm-hmm. She's a singer. She's not like a a business person. She, you know, this is not her her wheelhouse. But she's been fed. You know, the same kind of of you know catastrophized uh, narrative that's out there. Um, and and she said, listening to you know our discussion the first time and and um, understanding sort of where I've chosen to dedicate my career is what makes her feel hopeful that that we can solve some of this stuff. Okay. Um, and so you know we at Grid take the approach that we are part of the solution and and growth of human prosperity. So we have a couple of key theses around what that means, um, and we'll get to the energy piece of that. You know, the first is that. Energy density per per person is a really important health metric for a society. The more energy uh, that you're generating on a per capita basis, the more access to education, the more access to healthcare, the more access to high nutrition food. You know all of the the things and lower infant mortality, lower you know l- lower of all of the bad stuff basically mm-hmm. that's traditionally treated this way. So so we need to start from a first principle perspective that energy production on a per person basis is good. Mm-hmm. It's good for society. Now we need to figure out how to do that 
in um, in a compelling and and forward looking and sustainable way. I'd say sustainable like the longevity of the projects, not sustainable like the the definition of sustainable energy. The the good news is is that we're going to be able to generate a ton of energy per person globally over time and not ruin our environment as long as we as long as we handle things like onerous regulation and protectionism properly as long as we understand you know how these things are engineered at a basic level um, and and you know follow that process um, effectively and understand that that you know there are externalities to having things right mm-hmm. you know it, it's not just that we you know we suck oil out of the ground to spin a turbine we you know uh, hydrocarbons are a key input in most of the things that we use on a routine daily basis. When was the last time you used plastic? Oil's in that as a key input. So you know, so I think that we need to we need to have a, a you know an honest conversation with ourselves about what consumption means and looks like. But also, there is an abundant future for energy consumption at significantly higher levels than we're consuming today. That starts to pivot us more towards things like hydroelectric and especially nuclear. Um, you know that's going to get us to this incredible abundant place, but that doesn't introduce you know some of the emission problems, you know that we face with other generation sources. I say that, and and this relates back to grid because what Bitcoin mining does is it creates the revenue center for these types of projects to expand and come to market without needing an established you know retail customer base from day one. So. When you build generation, when you when you monetize existing infrastructure, you know the challenge is not just generating the electrons; it's moving the electrons to the consumers and delivering it to them mm-hmm. in a form that they can receive. So, what we get to do is we get to come in and we can co-locate directly next to the the uh, generation source, no matter what that may be. Plump, you know, plunk down a new a new tr- uh, substation and consume that energy and provide a, a revenue backstop that makes that generation business viable, no matter the other conditions. Give them the type of of economic relief that lets them invest in moving those electrons more efficiently, further, and more effectively. And over time, what we're going to do is allow for more of that energy to be delivered um, in a productive fashion because they've got this this. Um, you know, we think that we're like this huge, huge cheat code for energy generators. Mm-hmm. Huge cheat code. They've never had a customer like us. Yep. So we come into the conversation with a utility and we say to them, hey, we're here to buy the cheapest energy you can possibly imagine selling because we're going to be the best customer ever. Probably need to have a sit down with Elizabeth Warren and explain this to her. It is, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I find I find her perspective on this like, like total theater, total farce, you know, I would welcome a substantive conversation if, if she felt like she could offer that. I mean, I'll try to, I'll, I'll give her a call after this. Get her, get her on here. <laughs> Mate, I wish. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's different motivations and I agree things with you. are going on there. But, uh, and, and this is the thing about Bitcoin. Yeah. Any conversation that actually gets to sort of its logical conclusion around Bitcoin wins on the merits. Well, this is why recently I've been saying I want to kind of like, even though Bitcoin is not political, I mean, there's a lot of political opinions around Bitcoin, and uh, Ted Cruz has become interested in Bitcoin, and maybe it's a political angle, but it's a very American idea, Bitcoin, and it's a very Texan idea. Uh, I think there's merit in trying to talk to people who 
are on the left politically to explain to the benefits of Bitcoin because totally. the majority of media is controlled by the left. I know we have right media, but there's a lot of left media who have very negative uh, uh, hit pieces on Bitcoin. And we also, it could become a, a political uh, issue during uh, during canvassing by uh, candidates when they want to appeal to their audience. But actually, if you sell them actually on the benefits of Bitcoin, it's like, uh, I've explained this really badly, but Parker Lewis said it brilliantly on my podcast. He said something like, uh, Conservatives are going to love Bitcoin. Republicans will hate it. And I think he said he said liberals are going to love Bitcoin, but Democrats will hate it. And I think it's a really key point: is that we can actually it can unify the left and the right in the benefits it brings to society. The bit what Bitcoin does yeah. is it demonetizes the political class, yes, and empowers the productive class. That's what it fundamentally does. That's what better money does for people: is it takes the people who are fundam- who are just rent seeking. In our, in our political structure, and we said and says to them, I'm sorry, but you don't belong here because you don't produce anything or create any, any net economic positive. And it says to all of the people who are producing net economic positives, we're going to double down on you, and we're going to continue to reward you for, for operating within the context of this new system. Yeah. That's a brilliant quote. <laughs> I see two little heads nod, nodded <laughs> in the side, like, fucking hell, Harry. <laughs> Next up, I talk to Harry more about Bitcoin mining. Before that, I've got a message from my amazing show sponsors. And today, we're going to kick off with Exus Wallet, who I'm using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin, because UX is really important to me. I'm always talking about this. When we make the UX easy, we make Bitcoin easy. So when Exus reached out to me, I spent some time playing with the app, and I knew this was an app I could use for my Bitcoin, and it was one I could recommend to you, my friends, and my family. Now, with Exus Desktop, you have a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful app application and with their mobile wallet you can send to receive safely using a QR code or address knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. Make sure you check it out at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. And next up we have Casa, the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now listen, if you've made some good gains this year and you're holding it all in a single hardware wallet or even leaving it on an exchange, you might want to consider using Casa to custody your Bitcoin. Because forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for you to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. With a Casa multi-sig wallet, you take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, and you distribute these wallets into different locations. This will protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, you can reach out to me. You can hit me up on my email, or you can drop me a DM on Twitter. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And lastly, we're finishing off with sportsbet.io. The football season is back on. Liverpool crushing it. They've only had one draw. Everything else has been a win. They even stuffed Norwich in the cup this week. And also, it's nice to see that Tottenham are struggling. It's nice to see that Tottenham have lost another couple of games. And listen, if you want to make some good wins this year, betting for Liverpool and betting against Tottenham is probably a good thing you can do. And you can do it all over at sportsbet.io. But even if you don't like football, they've got everything else covered. They've got tennis, they've got motorsports, they've got US sports, they even have esports. And with the Ryder Cup this week, they are going to have golf covered. Now, for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. 
So let's talk about the ESG thing. Uh, I don't know if you saw my interview with Kevin O'Leary. Um, Not he, yet. He brought it it's up. It's cued. He brought it up. And I also want to have a chat with Dan Moorhead about it. And also Marley Bent. Marley Bent, because I want to see his side. Uh, Dan Moorhead uh, wrote a very interesting article explaining how Bitcoin is actually very good for the ESG narrative. 100%. Uh, the thing I said to Kevin is the problem we have at the moment is everyone's focused on the E. Not many people are focused on the social and the governance and how actually Bitcoin supports all the issues that the ESG crowd is uh, claiming that needs to be supported. So um, I'm in this weird position where like, I, I see Marty Ben completely reject ESG and I see why and I, I, I see his point. I also, at the same time, uh, understand we live in a, uh, in a state system. We have government, we have companies, they have agendas, they have things they want to do. So I, I also saw like the Michael Saylor side that rather than fight it, let's actually explain to these people why... Bitcoin's a benefit. So I kind of see both sides. Where are you at with the whole thing? Um, I mean, I think that, you know, where where I'm at and where we are at, at Grid is that is that it's our job to make it obvious. Right? I don't want to have a debate. I just want to build a business that makes it obviously, obviously um incredible for the world. And we, you know, I think we're I think we're tracking to to doing that really effectively. We I think we've already been a huge positive in in communities that we serve, but you know, but I don't want to get I don't want to get tied into a knot around you know is ESG the right framing? The reality is, is that there's thirty trillion dollars looking to allocate to it, and if we can get some of that money into Bitcoin and Bitcoin adjacent businesses like mining, it's going to be really good for the people who've invested it, and that's what we're here to do. We're here to make make um, obvious good decisions available to people. And I was thinking about this the other day because when I said to Kevin O'Leary, I was like, "Yeah, but like, should we really?" Because he was talking about Larry Fink. I think was it Larry Fink? Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure it was. Talking about Larry Fink, he controls this. He he writes his note and he explains why ESG is like important. So it's now become uh, uh, an issue that every board room is pretty much considering. And I was thinking, saying to Kevin, like, "But should we really bend the knee to these people?" But you know, just for their money. But then I was rethinking about it the other day. I was like, "Well, there's this whole feedback loop, like." If we can convince these people that Bitcoin is uh, ESG compliant, um, and I don't think it's binary, but if it is, and we can unleash a wall of money that wants to come into Bitcoin, Bitcoin becomes stronger, it becomes more powerful, Bitcoiners have more money, and then it makes it easier to capture or have the conversation with the, the political people who are trying to strive for regulation push against it to actually say, no, actually, like we have the money and the funds to actually to compete with them. This is this is a key piece of the everything is good for Bitcoin <laughs> argument. <laughs> Everything's good for Bitcoin. everything is good for Bitcoin. You just named the show, <laughs> <laughs> you know. It, it, but it, but it's really the truth. Like when you introduce when you introduce a seismic shift in technological improvement that has the ability to improve every single person's life, then then all of the decisions become very very obvious. It becomes much easier. Who's arguing against the internet? Who's out here? Who's out here advocating to shut down the internet? Who's cutting fiber lines? Uh, North Korea, China. <laughs> ex ex yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They, you know, the 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 deeper um, viewpoints that people have reveal themselves when you start to to rub them against the grindstone that is, you know, this type of incredible technological improvement. In this case, it's the technology of money. It's so much better. Than what there is previously, that the people who rail against it end up just revealing themselves. Mm -hmm. 
Everything's good for Bitcoin. Everything is good for Bitcoin. When the price goes up, we get richer. When the price goes down, we can buy more. <laughs> you know, but it's about changing your personal unit of account. Yeah, of course. That's the trick, is that is that helping people understand that a decision around how do you measure your time, how do you value your life, what are you here to do, how, you know, what what are what is the service that you can provide, you know, to the larger context that you exist within. That's what ESG is about, right? It's an it's a it's a you know it's a maybe fairly rudimentary attempt to say that that part of the human condition is interacting with, you know with each other. We are deeply social creatures, and the best way that we can serve um, you know that biological social itch is to be you know is to be part of our communities. Um, and I think that what Bitcoin does is it removes the conflict of interest between you know our biology and our society. Yeah. Look, it's fascinating, and I am open to discussing this topic with everyone. <laughs> yeah. I'd lo- I, I, you know what? In some ways, I should have invited Marty. I'd, like, I'd love to have Marty's point of view as well. I think he's got a very interesting point of view. Um, and I don't think it's unfounded. No, I think I think, I that think his, it's very. Founded. I think that his, his point of view is 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 deeply reasonable, right? So, and and you know, Marty Marty's a, a, a real life friend, and and you know, he and I get along really well. But you know, but I think that you know, his point of view here is that. Um, the ESG mandate framework is um, is another piece of of sort of the the control. The, yeah, the ruling class's ability to impose you know controls, and that the distrust that you have for existing you know structures should extend to ESG because it really is you know maybe a jackboot that that they can put on you. Yeah. Um, you know, I I'm sympathetic to pieces of that argument. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that I think that there is, you know, there is some some you know social theater that is attached to it. I think that we're seeing it now as as you know the Deutsche Bank news that's come out. You know, there's significant fraud claims being investigated into the way that they classified and allocated to ESG. So you know, moral hazard doesn't go away just because you put a you know a fancy new good society label on it. So you know, I think that we do need to be skeptical, skeptical and careful when other people are are imposing you know guide guides and rules and 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 um, frameworks on top of us. But I also know that the Bitcoin mining industry and the way that Grid is building a business within it um, is an incredibly massive, obvious net positive, and we're not shy of that. Well, this is why I refer to the Dan Moorhead piece I, I read because. Um, my conclusion at the end of that was Bitcoin is probably one of the most ESG compliant projects. You know, if you compare it to all projects, companies, protocols, it's probably the most ESG compliant thing out there. And it's mathematically programmed to be ESG compliant. There is some debate around the E, but it's directionally heading to be more compliant. It's certainly compliant on the social and the governance side. So like, I almost feel like we should celebrate this and say, like, you can't use ESG against Bitcoin because it's more ESG compliant than anything else out there. Exactly, and and you know, and and, cor- and, and it can't be corrupted. Ex- and and it, ex- it, exactly the 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 um <laughs> the 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 friction that Bitcoin has built around itself and yeah. change is so difficult to break through. You know that that it is it is this this like it's this unchangeable thing. It's you know it's it's. Yeah. Well, ESG compliance in the future for companies will come down to how they declare how they're ESG compliant. Like Tesla may release like a, a report on how they're ESG compliant. Like Bitcoin's compliance is baked in mathematically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I th- I think that part of 
ESG compliance in the future will require holding Bitcoin on balance sheet as a imagine, treasury asset. Fucking imagine that. <laughs> hot take. Hot take. I'll take it. Um, we weren't. We were hopefully going to be uh, joined by someone else because uh, one of the things I also wanted to talk to you about, which I think you're going to about to unleash fire on, is um, the fee market at the moment. Uh, I follow a Twitter account that tells me, I think the next ten blocks what the fees are, and it's uh, about twelve cents. I think it's twelve cents for every. You can get it every block. Mister Hoddle uh, put a tweet out the other day saying there was something like. 349 TXs in the mempool, and some people have been having the discussion about um, there's not enough fees being generated yet for the miners. And we should just outline what it is to people who don't understand, but the miners, as you said earlier, they receive the block reward, but they also receive the fees every time they solve a block. Um, But over time, Bitcoin is designed that uh, the block reward reduces, and yeah, twenty one forty is when the block reward ends. As it is, I mean, we'll be long dead. Um, but at some point, fees should should or will need to overtake uh, to for the for miners to be able to provide security. So the the concern that people put out there is that Bitcoin is not being used enough, and not and not enough is being generated in fees. This is a risk for the future. I'm often receiving emails asking to discuss this. Many Bitcoiners go, "It's not a problem. Forget about it." Other people are like, "Well." We at least need to have the discussion. So tell me your position on this. I think it's important to talk about how mining revenue has changed over time and do a little bit more of a historical analysis rather than a point. This is not a point-in-time question. This is a historical trend line question, and this is a, a future projection question. Um, I think that you know it, it, the way that we look at it right in this, at this moment is, is it's not a problem. There, you know, you, we we just talked about it. Miners are generating a billion and a half dollars a month. Mm-hmm. You know, and and irrespective of where that comes from, that's a really big revenue number that justifies a whole bunch of electricity spend. It justifies a whole bunch of security assurance um, as to the you know the functioning performance of the network. You know, point in time, no issue. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about historically first. Historically, we are generating more mining revenue today than we were when there were fifty bitcoins per block. Why? Because the purchasing power of a Bitcoin has appreciated significantly, so we need to have we need to have a, a, a perspective on what is the future purchasing power of a Bitcoin. There is a very reasonable case that in the future, the purchasing power of of a block with with one and a thirty second of Bitcoin per per block subsidy is going to have more purchasing power than we're getting out of six and a quarter Bitcoins today. Yeah, let's let's go with one Bitcoin for the sake of math. Uh, let's say it's a uh, uh, million dollars of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. That means we're generating what? Uh, how yeah. many blocks a day? I'm trying to. Uh, what was our forty-three million calculation, Danny? Danny on the math. <laughs> um, so, how many blocks is it a day? Um, so it's it's, it's 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 six times twenty-four. Six times one hundred forty-four. So one hundred forty-four million. So yeah, that would be enough at the time. But that wouldn't be a trending up at that point. Cor- correct. So, so, but the, but the the problem is that the unit the unit of account that people are talking about is not the purchasing power of Bitcoin. They're talking about the you know the fee level over time. So, you know, we what we need to do is is think carefully about um, wh- you know what do you think the future purchasing power of one Bitcoin is going to be? We just don't know, and we just don't know. Yeah. The second piece is that if we were seeing fees 
dramatically higher uh, on a per transaction basis. Um, I would have worry about you know the development of the multi-layered approach to Bitcoin that that you know all the different you know open source contributors are taking. So if we fast forward into the future and we've onboarded one, two, three billion people to Bitcoin mm-hmm. and they're all using it, they're not settling on Bitcoin base chain. We need to have the opportunity to develop a significantly robust infrastructure that sits on top of the base chain of Bitcoin to be able to handle the transaction throughput that that level of of economic actors needs to be able to use. So lightning, you know, I'm a, I'm a very significant lightning bull on, um, on the way that, that, you know, the Bitcoin economy is going to continue to come to market. I love seeing low fees, but high transaction volumes on Lightning. I think that that type of dynamic is an incredibly, incredibly positive indicator because the more of the economy that you can migrate into Lightning, the more channel openings and closings there are going to be. What is a channel opening and closing? It's a Bitcoin base chain transaction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would rather see a billion people on Lightning than, you know, 50 million people trying to trying to congest on Bitcoin base chain. If we see congestion here, I want each of the the Lightning channel openings and settlements to have some enormous associated layer 2 economic value because that's how you justify a higher price of settlement on Bitcoin base chain. And so, it's about building out this multi-layered approach that can handle more of the global economy. And then we can start to see the fee mi- migration towards the the you know the real um, settlement layer, which is going to be Bitcoin based chain. If I'm going to go buy a house, I'm not sending a Lightning transaction. I'm sending something on on Bitcoin based chain in the future. Um, there's also an argument that that you know I I, I think that um, he, it goes by Alex B on Twitter. Yeah, nice. Um, Alex is great. He's got a lot of of thoughts on this as well. You know, sometimes I agree, sometimes I don't. But he's got this this vision that. Um, we're going to go back to bigger than fifty Bitcoin blocks in terms of mining revenues. That we're that the demand for base chain settlement is going to be so large that we actually haven't mined the most uh, profitable in Bitcoin terms block yet. That's interesting, isn't that cool? I had a coffee with him recently. He's a fascinating character. Fascinating. Yeah, really yeah, interesting. So guy. So thoughtful. Yeah, really interesting guy. Um, okay, that's interesting. So. And I guess we we can never answer the question how much security is enough security. We keep paying our power bill. That's all I can. That's 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 the most informed answer I can give you on how much security is enough. We can model it. You know, we can look at it. We can do all all of these kinds of you know, you know, twisting ourselves into a pretzel about enough or fear mongering about it. But the the point of Bitcoin is that it abides by the rule set that we talked about at the beginning. There's 21 million of them. There's not going to be any more. Mm-hmm. We don't need to introduce a one percent inflation rate, you know, in perpetuity. When I send a transaction on Bitcoin base chain, I get the confirmations of additional blocks. Each of those blocks is another wall built around the security assurance that the transaction I sent is never, ever, ever changing. This is this is the fundamental property, and if what we've done in exchange for what we've really done as users of this software is we've bought those assurances with some uncertainty around when and how the future state of fee revenues is going to mature. It's a fair trade. Yeah. So really, the answer to this, some people say it's concern trolling. I, 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 I don't think it is. I think it's fair for people to be able to ask a question, and it's great to have you answer it so eloquently. Um, but the point of this is, is that 
we don't know the answer until we see the problem, and there is no problem. Precisely, and if you're and if you're really worried, yeah, you know, for for the and this is the this is the call to action here. If you're truly concerned about the future state of fees, build a service or a technological platform or some sort of business that utilizes Bitcoin base chain and pay fees to me. I think it's really fascinating how Lightning has grown in this last year, and uh, I will attribute some of that to what's been going on in El Salvador because totally. it's become a total use case for Lightning. Like I was there recently, and I on the I can't remember the date was it ninth of September. I could go to any McDonald's or Starbucks in the entire country, and I could buy a cup of coffee or a cheeseburger and pay on the Lightning Network. It, it fucking astounds me that happened. It astounds me it happened that quick. I mean, these companies <laughs> who aren't Bitcoin companies have become Bitcoin lightning companies quicker than some of the companies within our ecosystem. And yes. Like, I think it's a fair call out to some of the exchanges. Like, why are you not supporting lightning? Starbucks are. <laughs> and they did it and it worked. It's, I mean, the Starbucks one is hugely impressive. Walmart wasn't there, but it's coming. But like, lightning is now a Thing across the entire country, and and, and like I, you know, I think Jack Mallers gets a lot of credit. Yep, he deserves more. Like the idea that you can interact with Bitcoin as a settlement rail and not take on Bitcoin risk mm-hmm. in terms of price for short-term transactions. What? Yeah, it's you know, it, it, good technology looks like magic. Yeah, strike looks like magic. Not too uh, Wells Fargo. No, Western Union. <laughs> yeah, Western Union, aka the vampire sitting on the throat of the internationally disadvantaged. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how do you do it, man? Honestly, we're gonna have so many clips from this. Sitting on the throat of the internationally disadvantaged. You know what? They uh, you know they put fifty ATMs out here in the US. The Bukele government. Do you know this? No. They've put 58, there's 200 of those Chivo ATMs in uh, El Salvador. They've put 50 out here in the US. So the Salvador, and they put it where all the Salvadorans are working to send money home to their family. So they've now got free, they've got, they could basically route around Western Union and they can send money back free to their family. And not only does that save them the, uh, Western Union fee, but it also gives them an incentive to send more, smaller amounts back. Here you go, here's 20 bucks for, for my son so he can go to get a, a burger with his girlfriend. Like, It's incredible. That entire system's been routed around. I am short uh, remittance. I'm like, if I could short these companies, I might have to look at it. I would short the fuck out of them because they are screwed. Once people start realizing this, you are short remittances. Well, I am because I'm not Bitcoin. Yeah, <laughs> but it's but it's truly incredible to see that growth in the Lightning Network. And yeah, massive credit to Jack Mallers. Also, I go one step back. Massive credit to Michael Peterson and Bitcoin Beach. That that no was the seed of this project in El Salvador. No doubt. Now we 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 watch and observe. I don't know how much is going to be used in El Salvador. It might be an initial burst and slow down and come back. But the fact is, we have Lightning as a national national settlement within a country, like in a sovereign country. It's incredible. The other interesting thing about that is, I wonder what head office in Seattle, Starbucks, is looking at going, hmm, we just rolled out Bitcoin in a whole country that quick, and we have instant final settlement of a currency, and we have low transaction fees. 
you know, I wonder if there's because I know they're meant to be doing something back. So I don't know how long that's why it's taking so long when it's coming. But yeah, same with McDonald's. They've integrated it into those screens. You know the screens where you go and order. Mm-hmm. You just go up and order. And you choose to pay in Bitcoin. It's fucking insane. And and we have to understand that like all of that credit card processing is like three or four percent. That money is just freed up now. Uh, the, uh, this is why good technology is deflationary over time, mm-hmm. right? Better technology, lower prices. Mm-hmm. Better quality of goods and services at lower prices, right? Uh, the, human flourishing is not rocket science. We just need to realize that 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 you know we need regulators to not stand in the way of good innovation, mm-hmm. not at the cost of consumer protection, but but. But there, but there is just so much good to be had that integrating these things does. You know, everybody who now buys McDonald's got four percent back over time. You know, inflation gets passed on to consumers. So does deflation. Yeah. Well, look, it's fascinating. I tell you another really fascinating bit. So I got, I, I'm like leaking something out from my conversation, said conversation with the president. But he said because a lot of people challenge their Article Seven. Like, I spoke to a lot of people in the country. Like, we don't like this being forced on us. And I asked him about that, and I said, he said, look, I've got five banks in this country, like billion-dollar banks, you know, billion, you know, multi-billion-dollar banks. He said, they are legally obliged to provide banking services use with Bitcoin. You can go into the bank and any of their services they have to provide with Bitcoin. He says, if I don't put this law in place, they don't do it. And that's really fascinating because the banks now, have, in that country, have to support the technology which could ultimately make them irrelevant. I thought it was fascinating. It blew my mind. There is so much to the El Salvador story that I don't know how to process yet. Mm. Um, you know, I think that I think that the president is, is you know is sitting at a crossroads. Yeah, where he could he can go down as the most progressive and and forward. And I say progressive like capital P. Um, you know, forward-thinking leader in an area of the world that has not had someone with the ability to change things as much as he has, he could also look like every you know every every other small market dictator. Yeah, I literally that we've seen. I'll tell you about it afterwards. I I I mean, I basically said the same thing. I said said to him, "You could be El Salvador's greatest ever president." I mean, he can fuck it up, but I, th- I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that. It's a long. This is a more than one term job. Yeah, and that's the challenge. That's the real challenge. It's how far does he go? But like, there's a lot to watch and be interested with here. And and Bitcoin doesn't care. Yeah, and with a, a note of warning, I like. I th- I think we have to, we have to watch like the, the moves he makes, and you know I think certain things that people have been raising, such as Alex Castine, is is important to raise those points. But you know, let's just let's go back a second. Within three months of announcing, you have nationwide coverage of uh, Lightning in that country. It's better for people who live there. It's better for their relatives who don't live there. It's better for people traveling into the country. It's good for investors, and it's good for the companies that are there. Like it's a, it feels like a win-win for everyone involved. <laughs> Bitcoin is obvious. <laughs> yeah, you know when everything's great for Bitcoin. When yeah, everything's great for Bitcoin. When when people are presented with the reasonable rational, facts-based arguments as to why Bitcoin is good for them, it's very, very hard to take the other side. 
So listen, before we do go out and eat, because we're going to go and eat and have a drink uh, <laughs> and have a proper catch-up, um, there's another thing I want to talk to you about, because when we got into the room, you started talking about Paul's I thought this was super interesting. You know, I told you who I'm mining with. You th- you told me you think the pool industry is going to change. Just for everyone listening, explain what a pool is, and then talk about the things you explain explain to us. Yeah. So so the way that pools work, and this is this is a good a good kind of you know if we if we go the full the full cycle from from mining 101, we start with um, this is why mining is important for Bitcoin conceptually. This is the mining business. You buy energy. You buy ASICs, you build places to put the ASICs, you plug them in, you run them over time, and you generate Bitcoin. Um, we talked about where that Bitcoin revenue comes from, both subsidy and, and transaction fee. And then, but there's another mechanical layer to the business model, which is that you're not just you're not just spitting this computing power into, into the air. Um, the, the, the primary way that the computing power is used is by contributing it to a mining pool. Um, there's a number of different pools that are out there. Um, you know, they're they're you know based in different places. They run different models. You know, some of them are are you know working under different umbrellas. So you know, Binance has a pool. DCG has a pool. You know, pool and an F two pool are are out of um, are out of mainland China, and, and you know they run some other businesses, but their primary business is just being a pool. Um, you know, Luxor in the U.S. is a is a pool that's um, that's designed to just just be a pool business. So I think that the the traditional way that this has happened, um, slush the first pool invented sort of the the technology and methodology of aggregating hash into a single location. Um, the the way the pool business has been historically is that they take a slice one two two and a half percent um, of all of the Bitcoin that gets mined through their pool, and that's how they that's how they generate revenue. You know. The reason you might like explain the reason I mine in a pool because I've got five machines. The chance of chance of me finding a block is an rounding error. It's, it's it's pretty much zero, right? Exactly. So the the reason that you that you aggregate hash into a pool is because otherwise you'll you may never see the revenues. Yeah. Right. You you have to find a block on your own. You're competing with you know hundreds of millions of other terahashes all around the world. Um, and so if you don't happen to get a block and get lucky. You know, you may never get any revenue. So, so what a pool does is it aggregates all the hash together, smooths the revenue across all of the participants, pro rata relative to how much hash they contribute. You know, so let's say Pete and I formed a pool together. He's got, you know, he's got, you know, five hundred tera uh, uh, terahash, and I've got a thousand terahash, and we mine one bitcoin. I get two thirds. He gets one third. And the great thing for me is actually, I I look, I know what my daily energy cost is. And I know how much Bitcoin I'm mining every day, and it's just a very easy calculation. This is profitable. I should carry on. Exactly. It's 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 both your it's both a, a software that helps your business, but it's also like your little business analytic dashboard. Mm-hmm. Um, the pool business historically is fee driven. They take a, they take a cut along the way. My opinion is that is that, and this is you know this is I think going to we've already started to see movement in this direction. Is that over time. Pool fees are going to fall to zero, and then they're going to fall negative. And we'll come back to negative, but it trends to zero because there's the cost of moving pool is is very easy. very minimal. So if I'm paying two percent here and someone offers me one one and a half percent, I may as well move where my uh, miners are pointing. There, yeah, exactly. There there are some performance metrics that you want to track and make sure they've implemented the software well. But you know, but overall, it's really a kind of a price game. Yeah. Um, you know the 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 trend has been so you know maybe we were two and a half or three percent 
and you'll see in some other proof of work chains the fees are higher because there's less competition. Um, you know, we were maybe two, you know, you know, high twos. We moved into mid twos, ones, and now we're now we're trending sub one percent in fees at some of the larger, more mature operators. If you're if you're a miner at, at scale, you know, retail mining probably has a, a little bit more fee challenge. But you know, but over time, these are going to trend to zero. Super competitive environment, super zero sum. You know, service one versus service two. So what's going to happen is that the the demand to have miners as customers is going to become so great that you're going to have to either continue to drop fees all the way to zero, and I think they're going to go negative um, because the mine the businesses that interact with Bitcoin and Bitcoin miners are going to have so many other services that make money. So if you think of like a like an LTV calculation, lifetime value of a customer. You know, let's use McDonald's because they're they've integrated Lightning, so we can reward them with some some free advertising, <laughs> like they need it. Um, yeah. You know, McDonald's doesn't make very much money on a burger. They know they're going to make money on the fries. They're going to make money on the drink. They're going to make money on the the apple pie. Um, and so and so, what they do is they cut costs even towards negative on the burger. You know, if you ever heard the term "lose money on the burger." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Binance has a pool. DCG has a pool. Why? Because those mining customers use a bunch of other services. We interact, you know, we are financial actors within this ecosystem. We might want to liquidate Bitcoin. We might want to hedge. We might want to borrow. We might want to lend. You know, all of those um, are significantly higher margin business lines than running a pool. And so having us as customers in their ecosystem is going to become so attractive that as time goes on, they'll pay us to be there. Other things that interest me in, in the pool business are, are you know, folks like, like Poolin or F2 Pool that are out of China. They, they run their own self-mining operations. Um, and so what they've done is say, okay, we can offer competitive pricing because we've basically bolted a pool on top of our own mining op- ops already. Um, you know, folks like like Luxor, who I think are are really interesting. I'm I'm friendly with some of the guys over there. Um, they are building like a full blown hash exchange. So they believe that that hash itself can be a commodity that can be traded because there's a pretty easy conversion rate between hash and Bitcoin. Because you know, if you contribute, you know, a hundred terahash for one hour, there's a Bitcoin equivalence in in Bitcoin mining revenue associated with it. So it becomes another commodity to trade in parallel with Bitcoin. Um, you know, that's another interesting way to do it. But in my opinion, the pool piece of their business flips negative. The thing is about this, it all points to the direction of the maturity of this industry. Like, like the levels of depth to this industry are way beyond anything that someone like an Elizabeth Warren is thinking about. You know, she thinks, oh, I've got a, I've got a political argument here about um, environmental waste. She doesn't actually understand uh, everything. This is like m- more than any other interview I've done. I would love her to listen to this and understand. Like she is talking about a subject she has close to zero understanding of. Like I have close to zero understanding when I sit with you and I learn so much. But I think this is this just speaks to maturity the the entire ecosystem. Yeah, I, you know. Nassim Taleb, you know, formerly great thinker, current, currently more. currently disgraced charlatan, um, plonka, yeah, plonka has a has a, <laughs> a term, you know, called IYI, intellectual yet idiot. Is that for himself? Now it now he applies, but but he he used to roll it out for people who have a lot of opinions but are not practitioners, and you know, and I think you know. Th- 
unfortunately, this applies frequently to the academic class and the political class because, you know, and, and we, we talk about this all the time at Grid, that, you know, we're not a Silicon Valley startup. We're not moving fast and breaking things. We're not writing, you know, we're not writing, you know, code to attract the next billion eyeballs. What we're trying to do is build core infrastructure for the monetary network of the future. That needs to be done with incredible high, incredibly high reliability, incredibly high attention to safety, um, both both physically and and also cyber. You know, this is a this is a, a heavy construction business. This is a, a you know we we build these in, in middle America and rural areas. You know, this is not you know this is not we are not creatures of the city. Um, and so that's built into sort of our corporate DNA. You know, you know, forgive me for my my New York City lifestyle, but. Um, you know, but we are, you know, we are building this heavy industry, um, and and in the same way that fiber has to travel through, you know, the towns you've never heard of to get to the place where maybe you're consuming it. Um, you know, the bit, the, the backbone of the Bitcoin network, um, the 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 you know the the broad scatter shot of miners who are contributing hash, um, you know, to the to the Bitcoin network, you know, are cast far and wide, you know, they're at the, they're the beating heart of, of the communities that they're serving in and operating in, you know, they're huge energy customers, you know, which, you know, you can say, well, you're consuming and, and you're not doing anything productive, but, you know, every dollar of revenue that, that a Bitcoin miner buys from a utility is an additional backstop for the, for the individuals in that community, not having their prices go up. And so there's this tremendous um, force for good. We bring fiber to remote locations because we need it. That's a really, really great point, actually, is that um, co-locating miners keeps energy prices down. 100%. For communities. Yes. And again, that's lost in the conversation. It's like seen as energy waste, but actually it's making energy more efficient. And more affordable. Yeah, more affordable. That's a really, really interesting point. You know? The, the, and these are, these are places that have, you know, uh, we, brought, we brought on a, you know, he's, Frankly, one of the mentors to me um, in our company, he's our, our VP of Energy Management. You know, in 27 years at a utility, the the power contracts that we were looking to source, there were only three that he ever looked at in 27 years that were bigger. <laughs> so, like to give just to give people a sense of what this means for a small utility, it's it is life changing for the the trajectory of where energy prices are going to go in that region. And so we, we we do provide this incredible economic backstop, but also bring fiber to more lo- remote locations. We, you know, we bring connectivity there. It, it, it's just a force for good. And you know, yeah, I know. I right, know listen, I uh, want to finish on telling you why I got back into mining, and a lot of people ask me why I, I'm mining rather than just buying more Bitcoin. And I want to tell you my logic, and I need you to tell me if it's sound. Or I'm a fucking moron, and I should have just bought more Bitcoin. But so people know that I, I tend to have this rule that it's uh, eight weeks business or personal cash flow in the bank; the rest goes into Bitcoin. But I scaled that back a little bit as we're kind of mid bull market. Like I'm being a bit more considerate about my Bitcoin purchase. I'm still acquiring, but uh, I do have to run a business. Um, and even with like eight to twelve cash flow, eight to twelve weeks cash flow in the business. Most of the time, I'm well within my float. Like it's just sat there as cash. That cash is doing zero for me. Well, I know it's losing me money, right? We know UK inflation is three point two percent, probably higher. You know, thanks, Boris. Yeah, thanks, Boris. You fucking 
Um, no, Rishi Sunesh is the other guy you need to blame. Yeah, we, everyone blames Boris. He's um, he's the very rich uh, ch- chancellor. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the point being is that I've got cash sat there in the bank doing nothing. It's actually losing value. It's losing purchasing power. Mm-hmm. So I could just put that into Bitcoin. But if I have a sudden cash need because I don't manage that float well, which actually happened recently, I had to sell a very small amount of Bitcoin for a short period of time. Um, because my uh, gap between invoicing and payment ended up being longer than I thought. I rebought the Bitcoin, it's fine, so I got through that. But I operate with a higher cash float now because of that. But when that cash float's just sat there, you know, say it's $50,000, that can you know, float between 50, 150, whatever. I can take 50,000 of that, I buy five S19s. The S19s, uh, that hardware has value. And it tends to retain its value or go up, okay, because it's a Bitcoin derivative. But it's a much more stable price than Bitcoin. So what I get to do is I get to put my money into an asset which holds its value, which is also enemy return. So I think of uh, uh, my miners as my bank account earning me an interest. So basically, rather than leave the cash in the bank, I have miners in a in a in a facility. Mm-hmm. The cash in the bank earns me no interest and is losing value. The miners generating me Bitcoin. So essentially, I've earned five thousand dollars interest this month with it being holding miners. Okay, because I've got the Bitcoin that I've mined. And at any point, like I have a cash crash, I know I can sell my miners probably for more than I bought them now. Does that logic? It's it's, it's a more stable investment in Bitcoin than just holding the asset. Um, Does this make sense? <laughs> it is not the dumbest thing I've heard. But that's not kind. That, that could, it, it, that's like that's like imagine another day. It's not the worst day I've been on. <laughs> You're not the ugliest person I've had sex with. <laughs> Hope I am. <laughs> but so so I think I think that the your use case uh, the the best thing you could do is not keep any of that cash. Is not worry about having to keep any of that in cash and taking and and having an you know an undrawn revolver for your business, right? Like if I were if I were to be your you know put on your you know the, the Pete McCormick CFO hat for the day, I would say I would go talk to a bank, get a line of credit, don't draw on it, and then when you need the cash, you've got available balance to be able to borrow. It's going to cost you like whatever four percent when you draw it, but you just pay it right back. Mm-hmm. Right, so you're only drawing it for 30, 60 days at most, kind of kind of deal. So having a that, that's just a good that's just a good thing to have in a business, right? Is have an undrawn uh, undrawn revolver. The use case that you're doing is really um, about if you had to sell the machines, not what price could you get for them? Because I totally agree with you. I think that hardware in this market right now, especially the S19, um, really retains value quite well. It's about how quickly you get them sold. And how quickly you can get that cash in hand. If you have a Bitcoin, that's liquidated and cash in hand that day. Getting a miner processed and sold and, and making sure that you're able to sort of match that trade, there's, there's a little bit of liquidity risk. If you need the, ca- the cash same day, I think you'd struggle to get it. Um, even now? Not even now, but, but you know. Maybe but, in February? And there's friction, right? Yeah. The wire doesn't clear. It's an international wire. They're not sending you Bitcoin. They're sending. There's, there's stuff happens, um, and so I think that you need to consider the liquidity piece of it carefully. But from in terms of a productive use of cash, 
no brainer, mm. right? Your rate of return on that should be. It's hundred percent. hundred percent a year. Uh, on uh, at the current price, so what would that be? Five thousand dollars. I did. I mean, I know the price is going to trend down. Yeah, you'll the, you'll decay over time. Will decay, but the, also the price of Bitcoin might go up. But like, I, sh- I my machines should be paid for in a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, you know, call that a hundred percent rate of return. Yeah. That's the real DeFi. Mm. It's decentralized. You're computing. You're you're just contributing hash. Like you're getting an APR that's unheard of in traditional markets. Like mm-hmm. plus you have an actual asset that's on the books. That's a value that's not going to get rugged or mm-hmm. you know hacked or smart contract ruined. Um, so I want more machines. Yeah. What's well, the problem in the market right now? Is it just down to the chip shortage? Yeah, I think there. You know, I think that there's some. You know, there's some supply availability stuff. I think it's a lot easier to go after miners if you're a scaled operation rather than kind of acquiring at the retail level. You know, Compass does a great job. Yeah. You know, but I think that the crunch right now is around infrastructure, even more than chips. I think you. I think there's probably more ASICs than rack space. Oh, interesting. If I had to guess today. Interesting. Um, you know, especially you know somewhere between the China shutdown and some of the supply chain stuff around electrical infrastructure, um, and just like. It's hard to build things. This is the thing that, like, you know, I, I I always try to come back to with with the mining discussions is like, this is a physical infrastructure business. There are people with backhoes and concrete and and electricians that are that are more, much more part of my daily life than any banker or any software developer, right? And so that's really where the business, um, you know, gets managed more closely is around. You know, we have we have construction. You know, construction project management—that is a core of what we do. Um, and so, it's important to remember that, like all of all of the the great benefits of something like that are associated with mining. Also, the challenges. It was raining. We couldn't pour the concrete. That's a normal problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are you know these are things where I think that you know I think that it's really easy to talk about. Hey, we're going to go build a hundred megawatt data center. That's really hard. <laughs> Like, like I hope I hope that they pull it off, you know. But that's our the number of people on Earth who are who are able to pull a hundred megawatt Bitcoin mining facility off. That's not a long list, you know. The people who have done it, that's a super short list, you know. The people who who are in the midst of doing it, who are going to complete it successfully, also not a super long list. It's a really hard infrastructure project to get to happen, and then to run it clean, you know, afterwards. Um, is challenging, and for you know, for you who have your machines parked in a rack, you know, of what one of those operators is is doing, you know, I think you benefit greatly. The more maturity comes into into the infrastructure piece of the business, um, where you, as the hosting customer through Compass, um, you know, you get to see the benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, but like with every great business, the harder it is, the harder it is to disrupt. Yeah. Well, listen, man, love talking to you. You know that. I, I, you're one of my favorite people I've ever met, and you are permanently welcome on my show. I think you're criminally underfollowed, but you, I think you need to. I don't think. Well, you've tweeted more recently. I've, I've noticed an uptick, but like, just love everything you're doing. Come on, whenever you want, uh, keep crushing it, and let's go get some food and a whiskey. Thanks for spreading the good word, sir. Right, Thanks man. for having me. Anytime, brother. Right, I know you love that one. I don't have to ask. Harry crushes it right. What about those knowledge bombs? What about that kneeling on the throat of the internationally disadvantaged? He just drops lines like that all the time. Harry's amazing. Definitely one of the best people I could have got on to do a mining 101. Now, I think mining is one of those topics that's 
widely misunderstood, especially if you're new to Bitcoin or you're one of those morons who works in the press and you want to attack Bitcoin. So it's really good to get someone like Harry to take us through this. And also, like I said, I covered mining and energy usage with Harry before. So jump into the show notes. That'll be linked there. It's definitely a show you want to go and check out. Harry will be back on the show in the future relentlessly probably probably every few months anyway love this show if you've got any questions you can hit me up on my email or jump into my telegram group my email is hello at whatbitcoindid.com all right i'm out oh shit i forgot you want to support the show <laughs> i also use every episode i just forgot it this week please head over to apple and leave me a review hopefully you think the show deserves five stars hopefully if you think it deserves one star leave it i do check the comments for those as well all right i'm out i'll see you all on friday 